Shot clock turned up. Game clock at eight. He's got to do it himself. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. At the buzzer, Young, safe, and Washington wins it. On a last second, Jay. It is time for the first annual Ultra Mega Huge March Madness podcast. We are the Sportscasters. It is March 15th, 2011 in Buffalo, New York. Episode number Pavel Bure. <laughs> and we, will, we, have, we are packed. We don't have long for this introduction. I'm going to keep things moving. We have a great show planned. We have Luke Wynn from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. He writes the huge... SI at the Tourney blog, a really busy guy this time of the year, so I'm really grateful he made some time for us today. Luke Wynn's going to join us after three things. Um, also, uh, a new guest uh, from New York Newsday, very excited to get Neil Best, one of the uh, best sports television, sports media critics in the nation. Neil Best is going to tell us about where to find this tournament. Uh, the broadcasting is a little bit different than tournaments past. So he's going to tell us all the interesting stations that the games are going to be on, get us ready. And we're also going to talk to him a little bit about the uh, two very cool college basketball-related sports documentaries that ESPN and HBO aired last weekend. Also, we have uh, Zach Rosenfield from AccuScore.com. He is back to accept the challenge that we threw down to him a few weeks ago. It's us versus his evil computers, and you're not going to believe the stakes, but... He will be with us later. And also, a fourth interview is Warren Packard, a guy you probably don't know from a website you might not have heard of yet, uh, but I think it's something kind of like Sportcasters that's on the rise. It's Thuz.com, T-H-U-U-Z.com, and it's a really cool uh, alert system that will let you know via text message or email when a game that your favorite team or any team is in has become close or worth watching and he's going to explain to us how that system can help us watch the ncaa tournament and make sure we don't miss uh, a gus johnson buzzer beater <laughs> nothing can ruin a tournament day quicker than knowing that you miss gus johnson uh call a, bu a buzzer beater he loves it he loves it and and people love it people love <laughs> listening to uh to gus call a buzzer beater so we have all all of that important stuff and uh where can you find it later in the week? Uh, I always have to remind everyone about our website. It's it's http <laughs> colon slash slash www.sports-casters.com. That's sports-casters.com. And that's where you can find all the shows, our bios, uh, a link to our blogs. Uh, we got some pictures up there. Um, so that's the uh, website. You can also find us on Facebook. I actually mentioned last week that I was hoping for some more likes. And we got some more likes, so I was happy with that. So you can check us out on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash thesportscasters. Uh, our email, if you need to email us, is thesportscasters 
at gmail.com. And also you can find us on Twitter. We love Twitter. Twitter is uh, the way we book all these great guests normally. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, we are the sports underscore, underscore casters. And I am diversity23. And Don is garbage radio Don. So all of that should lead us to three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. My first thing this week, as we talked about all the time, we do love the Twitter. Uh, one person who may not love the Twitter is John Krasinski, if I'm saying that correctly. I'm not sure. Uh, he is being sued by Bill Spooner, a 22-year-old NBA official. Mm-hmm. He's a beat reporter for the Timberlakes, and apparently during a game he tweeted that Spooner, the official, promised Coach Kurt Rambis that he'd get the Wolves two points in the form of a makeup call. Now the guy's obviously denying that he did that, but uh, the tweet said something along the lines of, Ref Bill Spooner told Rambis he'd get it back, quote, after a bad call. Then he made an even worse call on the Rockets. That's NBA officiating, folks. So he's being sued. Uh, Minnesota, by the way, lost the game 129-125. to He's being sued for $75,000 in damages. So careful what you tweet. <laughs> It's interesting he came up with 75000 as the value. I wonder if, how he determined how damaged he was after that tweet. Right, I don't know. I mean, maybe if he would have added a cuss word, he would have been 125000 damaged. Right. But since there is no cusses, he was only 75000 damaged. But he also wants an unpublishing and a retraction. And he yeah. also wants him to pick up and take his mother, his elderly mother to church <laughs> for the next four weeks. Yeah, so $75,000 because someone accused him of something. I have a congratulations is my first thing. I want to congratulate Vinny Scarcella and Corey Conacher for wrapping up their fantastic Division One college hockey careers at the local Canisius College. Uh, Vinny and Corey both came to Canisius as the youngest and third youngest freshman in the country four years ago. And all they did at Canisius was become the first and second all-time leading scorers with 147 points for Corey and 144 points for Vinny. Uh, one and two all-time at Canisius. I think the future is bright for both of them. They are free agents, uh, but I think that they will both be signed here soon to an AHL team uh, on a two-way contract and, and get a chance to play at the next level. And I just want to congratulate both of them on a fantastic, fantastic career at Canisius, which is not the easiest school to succeed in. And I know all four years they had huge targets on their backs. Everybody knew when you're playing Canisius that Corey and Vinny were the players you needed to stop, but nobody could do it anyway. So congratulations, Vinny and Corey. Yeah, congratulations. And uh, when that does happen, if they sign that two, two-way contract, they better not big league us. They won't. <laughs> no, they're good kids. Yeah. Uh, my number two thing, we're going to have AccuScore Zach on, and he's going to tell you all about like the right choices to make, or hopefully not all the right choices because of our bet. But there's an interesting way I saw today to fill out your bracket. If you're not maybe familiar with college basketball that well, the Wall Street Journal of all places, I don't know if you saw this, they have what they call a blind taste test. If you go to the Wall Street Journal and another sports section, 
uh, they have a way to fill out a bracket without knowing who you're picking. So if you have a hard time maybe with favoritism or it just it takes away or gives object or takes objectivity. I'm struggling with the meaning of that. But uh, it says like if you were burned it eliminates by, biases. Yeah, eliminates bias. So what they do is they give you some facts about each team, but then they replace the names with things like the Amberjacks or the Zebras. And uh, you only see the key name or the code name and some key stats and some information. And you pick your bracket, and then once you're finished with the bracket, it fills it out and replaces all the fake names with the real names that you picked. Oh, so, that's kind of fun. Yeah, kind of an interesting thing I noticed out on the internet. I wonder who was in charge of uh, finding the name or you know putting the names. I don't in. know because that would be a fun job. The one they give was Amber Jacks as an example. I don't even know what that is. So. The Amber Jacks sounds like a breakfast cereal. It does, but those are Apple Jacks. That's right. <laughs> All right, my second thing. If you can't make a tournament with 60 te- 68 teams in it, I don't want to hear you cry about it. Come on. Are, are we really that concerned that Virginia Tech or whoever else with 15 or 16 losses didn't make the NCAA tournament? There's more, there's more teams in this tournament with double-digit losses than any tournament before it. And there's still teams <laughs> that think that they were snubbed. It goes to show that if they raised the, the bracket to 346 teams there would still be three or four Division three teams that think that they should have made the cut. They did talk about raising it to 90s. 92, I think. What that, wow. <laughs> and, and if they did, we'd, Jay, Billis, Jay Billis killed the committee this year on ESPN for a good day and a half. He was on SportsCenter. He was on PTI. He was on every other show on ESPN killing the committee for not including Virginia Tech and there was one other team that he wanted in instead of UAB and some other team. And it just fell on deaf ears to me. I just think there's, there's plenty of teams and there's plenty of opportunity, especially for a team like Virginia Tech, who's in a very weak conference, the ACC. There's plenty of opportunity to strengthen your resume and become an NCAA tournament team. You've had opportunity all season to, yes, they beat Duke once, but they got swept by North Carolina. And they lost 14, 15 games. They should have played better. If you want to make the NCAA tournament, play better. Absolutely. Uh, my last thing, uh, the, since the announcement of the sale of the Sabres, we've kind of offered a love letter to Terry Pagula a little bit <laughs> every single week. But Love you, Terry. Yeah. The uh, recent changes are unbelievable, which is kind of sad with the uh, Rick Martin passing. But the... Sabers have really been listening to fans. They, they have a local radio show dedicated, like the whole show, to changes they'd like to see. And I don't know if they were listening, but if they weren't, they've got a crazy. L- they have a suggestion box now yeah. on the website, which I've heard they've taken over twenty five hundred suggestions. Right. So now they were soliciting song advice for like in the, in the arena via Twitter. The play by play call is now being played after the goals, which yep. is something. It's a small change, but. It's significant. Uh, there's a new carpet, like a twenty thousand dollar carpet in the locker in the locker room. Uh, they're handing out free programs before the games, and they're, they're not, beautiful too. It's not, a nice colored, glossy paper. Good information in it. Very nice program, right? And I'm sure they won't do it every game, but the they first will. game they were they no, no, no. I, I don't mean print them out, but the oh. first game they were handed out by right. Sabers higher ups yep. like uh, Ted Black and the Pagula daughters, and mm-hmm. and uh, they're also they have a countdown before they play like a bell or something with two minutes to go. Yeah. Or, it's a little ding, 
dong. Yeah, to let you know that if you're out buying a beer, food, or whatever, that you've got two minutes to get back to your seat before the period starts. Just little things that fans have suggested they've really taken into account, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, good for good for uh, Terry and good for the fans. I'm a season ticket holder myself, and and I was really glad on Sunday to notice all of the changes that were made after the long, long road trip that was at the beginning of the Pagula era. Did you happen to see the song list, by the way, that they're, they'll be using? I saw in the program there was a playlist by Jordan Leopold. No, the, I mean the actual song list of like what's been submitted and what... I've heard some things, yes. I, the the one is that Friday song, that Rebecca Black song. It's kind of going around YouTube. Yeah. It's a huge joke. I'm, I'm shocked by that, but Pearl Jam made it on there too, so that's nice. And they were also playing a song that was popular when the Steelers run, the black and yellow, black and yellow. They were playing that with blue and yellow, blue and yellow. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how about my number three thing to close this off? The NFL lockout. Boy, it's making people say some weird things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm a known on this show, if you've heard it, Adrian Peterson apologist. I love Adrian, but I cannot defend his statement where he said that he compared the NFL players to being slaves and to the slave trade. Uh, he probably would like that one back. <laughs> yeah. um, kind of like when he got that poor girl fired from McDonald's for walking up to the drive-thru. Uh, yeah, we talked that, about that earlier uh, in, in, in the history of the show. But also, Drew Brees uh, turned to Twitter and he said, My advice to fans, don't worry. Uh, trust the process. Everything works itself out in due time. And don't let the NFL influence you with manipulation and false information. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. I will not drink any Kool-Aid. <laughs> I drink iced tea. Uh, and he says he's very sorry to the fans who have gotten caught in the middle of the CBA stuff. You all deserve better. We will get it figured out. Well, I hope they do get it figured out because it sucks and it's stupid and I don't care about it. And I don't want to be forced to care about it. I want to talk about the draft and I want to talk about the games and the teams and I want this to go away. And I want it to go away soon. Yeah, since we started the podcast, we kind of scoffed at the idea of them actually lock or yeah locking out. But as it became more and more reality, it, it now it's here. It's it is depressing to think that we were. I was talking with a friend at a bar the other day that what we would do to replace like fantasy football, and he talked about like a simulated Madden league. And I mean, that's what they're going to drive us to is doing stuff like that. That's ridiculous. And the players aren't. I just aren't coming off as very. I mean, the threatening to keep people away from the draft and then backpedaling on that. They're just, the owners have got to be kind of laughing. They're not coming off very strong. Yeah, and the, the players, they decertified their union, whatever that means. And I don't know. I yeah. just I just wanted to figure out. I'm sure there's a really there's a really easy way. I mean, why don't you just, I know why you don't because you, you're worried about what they would decide. But, I mean, why not just go to a mediator and let the mediator, you know, figure it out kind of like they do with divorce and things like that i mean right even if only for one year there's in that one year you work something out for the long term there's got to be a way to split this money up fairly because there's a lot of it yeah i mean there's a there's billions and billions of dollars to split up so there has to be a fair way to do it i don't think i don't think anyone really needs to be screwed in the end so right this what this really hurts too is i mean in addition to the fans is like the the special team players, like guys that never really locked on. They're not making millions of dollars. They're making the league minimum, and all of a sudden they're out of a job. As are the the vendors the ven- in the right, stadium. Right. Uh, I'm sure all the teams are going to trim staff. 
to cut costs during the lockout like they did in the NHL. Scalpers. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, scalpers are affected. Um, my mom works in a restaurant near the Bills Stadium. Right, right. Uh, and those eight Sundays a year are big for her and for that restaurant. You know, that right. is potentially lost. So a lot of people are caught in the net uh, of this unfortunate battle between millionaires and billionaires, billionaires yep. and, and nobody likes it. So... Figure it out. Go away. Yeah, figure it out. All right, but we got college basketball March Madness to talk about, and we're going to get it started with the good basketball talk with Luke Wynn. So we'll be right back with Luke Wynn. Our next guest was born and raised in the state of Wisconsin. He's a graduate of the Medell School of Journalism at Northwestern University. Today, living in Brooklyn, he is one of the most unique and visual sports columnists in the world, writing for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. He started at SI as a college football editor, only working on hoops part-time, before becoming a full-time college basketball columnist. His Luke win at the tourney blogs is one of the most fascinating reads during the tournament and should be your go-to read this week. He has a 900-word column in this week's magazine previewing the tournament. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the uber-talented Luke Wynn. How are you doing today, Luke? Thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate you making time on this really, really busy week, I'm sure, for you. So we really appreciate you fitting us in. I guess the best place to start is with the committee. How do they do it? First of all, did they get the right teams in the tournament? I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I would dispute UAB being in his last one but I mean overall I'm not I don't know if that if you know having let's say Virginia Tech in instead of UAB or Colorado I thought either of those teams are more deserving but it doesn't really to me change the complexion of the tournament I mean I agree with I think I agree with the number one seeds I don't think that you know I don't think that the that the, the bracket is a travesty or anything like that um, right. I'm excited for it to start. Well, I guess that you led me right into my next question, and that is, you know, are the teams seated correctly? Sure, the number ones look about right, but is there anything you, when you look at the bracket and think, hmm, like, did Texas get treated unfairly as a four, or, you know, did Long Island get treated a little unfairly as a 15, or is there anything that jumps out like that? The one thing I do think is, in terms of regional imbalance, I, I, I thought that the, uh, the southeast region with you know Pittsburgh you know it wasn't one of the you know one of the two top two seeds in the bracket you know didn't didn't win the Big East tournament and I feel like Pittsburgh got an unusually easy region uh, you know I think Florida is probably the weakest number two seed in the, in the whole bracket BYU is their three and BYU you know I mean BYU's body of work certainly deserves a three but in their current state. You know, who knows? I I don't think we have a really good idea of how good. I, I think they're you know they've been significantly weakened by losing Brandon Davies. Um, Wisconsin's a pretty good four seed, but you just when you look through that Southeast region, it's not you know it's it could be very wide open just because there isn't. I, to me, there, there's only Pitt is the only really good team there, and and I don't know if they necessarily earned that region. Whereas Ohio State, I mean Ohio State's been a more an overall seed, and they get. I thought, you know, a pretty solid two in North Carolina, a really strong three in Syracuse, strong four in Kentucky. I mean, that's a, that's a strong region. Uh, I mean, Duke this year, it was nice to see. I mean, I felt like if there was outrage over the bracket last year, it was that Duke was 
wasn't fairly, necessarily yeah. deserving of a number one seed, and then on top of that, got a region about as easy as Pitt got this year, you know. But Duke this right. year, I feel like they got the number one, but they got sent out west, and they got put in, you know, what to me is a very difficult region. I mean, San Diego State out west will have a fan advantage. Uh, you know, I think that UConn's a decent three. Texas is by far the strongest four. I mean, Texas, Texas' statistical profile to me, even though they slumped a little bit, um, is suggesting more of a, you know, a two, uh, I think. So, yeah, I was surprised gotta, to see yeah. Texas on the four line myself. Yeah, I mean, after, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I know they had a, they had a little bit of a slip late in the season, but, I, you know, they made it to the Big 12 tournament final. I don't think there's anything, uh, <laughs> if losing to Kansas is certainly not something that would damage, you know, right. as a team. I mean, bunching people off to Kansas and Texas has split the season series with them, so it wasn't, I don't know. I, I was, I was. That was that single seeding with Texas as a four was was maybe the most surprising along the you know the top few lines to me of why Texas is a four and probably Florida being a two rather than a three were the two most surprising uh, you know jumps. Does Duke have enough healthy toes to repeat? I think Duke is. A, I mean, the thing that Nolan Smith came back right away after that you know that that little scare in the ACC tournament. I don't think that. You know, I'm not expecting Kyrie Irving to be back. I mean, I, I don't have any inside information right now about it, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know if they're going to really force him into action. I do, I do still think though that Duke, um, you know, when you look at guards that you would want running your team in the tournament, and you look around the bracket, I mean, Nolan Smith is is the guy is is a guy probably the guy I might have, you know, running my team. I mean, the guy he plays with, he's been playing this year with extreme level of confidence. He's got the experience of already winning a championship. And there's no reason to me that Duke couldn't, you know, it may be a little more difficult this time around, or a lot more difficult just because of the road they have there. But there's no reason to me that Duke couldn't win at all. And I mean, I probably, I think I'm going to put Duke in my final four. Is Duke the most vulnerable number one seed, or is there another number one seed that seems more vulnerable? I mean, I think that Pittsburgh, is the most vulnerable one, but Pittsburgh also it's doesn't have... the easiest have, road, right? Yeah, but it has the easiest road. Pittsburgh is just because, if you look at their what Pittsburgh has done over the last, you know, I think they've, they lost three of their last six. They, they've looked a little... They've looked a little weakened, um, and, and I think that they go through... They, they're not... Um, they're, the, they're, they're the weakest... This doesn't say they're a weak defensive team overall, but of the number one seed, they are... They are the weakest defensively. Each of, I think Ohio State maybe has the, Ohio State, Kansas, and Duke are all like top five defensive teams around the country, whereas Pitt is kind of in that next tier. It seems like every year a team on the 5-12 line, it seems like that's where the upsets occur. Is there one you're looking at this year that on the 5-12 line that you think could be an upset this year? Um, I, I do think that, um, I think that, Richmond has come into the tournament pretty hot. Vanderbilt Vanderbilt doesn't have a great history of, I mean, a recent history of winning in the first round. And uh, I think that and Vanderbilt kind of doesn't force as many turnovers as you would like, or as Richmond is, has a, you know, Richmond has a nice senior point guard, Kevin Anderson, and a guy named Justin Harper, who is one of the more underrated, I think, you know, big men in the country in terms of being able to play inside and out, uh, excellent shooter, a possible NBA prospect. So Richmond is a very strong 12. Utah State, you know, they play 
they play pretty slow. <laughs> I don't know if they're going right. to be able to run with Jacob Pohl in the way he wants to, but that's a, that's a very fundamentally sound team. And statistically, Utah State is the best, the most efficient mid-major in a whole bracket. So, and that's a, so it had a 12 seed was uh, I, I thought they were sort of underseeded as a 12. So that's they're the, they're the second strongest to me. I think that Belmont. And I don't know if this is a jumping the gun on your another question, but I think <laughs> Belmont as a 13 is actually in great position, in possibly in better position than any 12 to pull off an upset. I know you love Belmont. Is that the is that the mid major that you think has the best chance of being around for two weekends or maybe even more? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't. It's not necessarily anything about Wisconsin that I don't like, but it's just Belmont. A lot of things are pointing to you know a team that, uh, you know, that their scoring margin on the. It's not just that they were thirty and four. You know, they they won by big margins. I know it's in the Atlantic Sun, but still, when when a team is is kind of convincingly winning a lot of games, it's a good sign. And and they also play a style that. Um, can bother some people, you know. I mean, that whole, you know, the the whole kind of like pressing a full game, creating chaos. There, there isn't, there aren't as many teams that do that, and especially, you know, Wisconsin doesn't see that in the Big Ten that much. I know that Wisconsin's a very sound team that doesn't turn the ball over very much, but they aren't getting pressed off of every made basket very, you know, very frequently. Right. And that's what Belmont does, uh, you know. And so it's going to be this amazing contrast in styles. I, it's, it's. Uh, I think it's the most interesting first round game in the whole bracket just because of, you know, the quality of Belmont uh, and just the contrast in styles. It's going to be a battle. It's just who can kind of exert their will over, you know, does Belmont get the game into this frenetic up-and-down game or does Wisconsin, is Wisconsin able to grind it to a halt? So Wisconsin is the, sl- the slowest team in the country in terms of tempo. The sportscasters here with the great Luke Wen. Uh, he's getting ready for a really busy couple of weeks with his SI at the tournament blog. You can find that right at tourney.si.com. They make it really easy to find. we got a few more minutes left with them. I have a question about going into the tournament. Would you rather be a team like Pitt, who went one and done in their conference tournament, or would you rather be a team like UConn, who played the five games in five days It looked like really built confidence as the week went on, won the, won the banner, and uh, is going in kind of full blazer? You know, wh- wh- what would you rather be if you were a coach? I would rather be Pittsburgh just because UConn can say whatever it wants about that, you know, they're not tired, they could play as many games, but five games in five days is, is and then having to play a Thursday, Saturday site, which is, yeah, I hope that's you don't get that part yep. of it too, is, is it, I mean, that's incredibly taxing. Even though they're a young team, it's incredibly taxing. And Pittsburgh, you know, I mean, it's not, a huge boost to your confidence, obviously, to bail out of the Big East tournament in the first round. But you know, Pitt has put in on the season. You know, I think Pitt's players, Pitt has veteran players who I think are they know they can win big games. They've played well on the road in the Big East. It's not like they're. I don't think that bad's a team with a fragile confidence that you know was shattered by losing that game. I think that they're they're pretty confident. They got to rest. They got to practice. You know, they got more practice than they probably would have. I think that they'll be ready. I would much rather be in the pit situation of, of having to, you know, you know, and maybe they just got it, you know, kind of a, if you, I remember the North Carolina team with, uh, you know, the McCants North Carolina team dropped out of the ACC tournament. It's first game, I believe that, you know, that year. Yep. And, and they were, they were fine. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, if you're a good team, you're still a good team. And if you're veteran players, you're sure that I don't think it's a problem. All right, let's help people fill out brackets a little bit. Um, we got a few more minutes left. Let's kind of blow through them. In the East, 
Long Island likes to run, and they haven't lost in a long time. Can they give North Carolina a game? I don't know. You know, I, I just think that Long Island, if Long Island was going to bother some, you know, was going to pull off an upset in the first round. They needed a slower better. team. It, yeah, I just think it would have been a team that, that didn't like to play that style. Whereas right. Carolina, I mean, it's like Carolina would bring it on. Yeah, you know? they'll run. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll run with you all day. We'll, we're, we're total. You know, I mean, I don't think that, I, I just think that, North Carolina has, you know, as athletic as Long Island was for its own, you know, for Northeastern Conference, and, and you know, North Carolina's got them beat in athleticism in every position and thrives in those up-tempo games. I just, you know, I don't see, uh, I don't see it as, you know, is going to be a problem. But the second round game between Carolina and Washington on that side of the bracket will be is equally as fast. And I actually think that that is Washington's a problem for Carolina just because Washington has, you know, the players. even though they underachieved, has more tournament experience. They're coming in hot. They, uh, you know, I, I like Washington to, you know, to get to the, you know, to pull off that upset and get to the Sweet 16. What about Syracuse? I mean, they get to get to short trip to Cleveland and then they get to play in Newark. Kind of a nice draw for Syracuse. Do they have a chance to, uh, to beat Ohio State in Newark? I don't think anyone has a chance to beat Ohio State. <laughs> okay. But Syracuse will have they'll certainly have a, a you know a fan advantage there um i just think that ohio state is the soundest overall team in the bracket has a very well-defined rotation well-defined roles for every single player um they don't they haven't you know they haven't they don't have had any bad losses they seem to have everything figured out i, I just think that ohio state even though that that wasn't I think they should have been given a little bit easier, you know, bracket right. in terms of geography and teams they played with. But I just don't think Syracuse is gonna is gonna bother you know is gonna bother them enough to stop Ohio State from getting the Final Four. In the West, Texas is a strong four. San Diego State's kind of an unknown two. Who who gives Duke the biggest challenge? Who do you see coming out of the West? I think that Duke's biggest challenge will be Texas in that game yep. in Anaheim. But uh, I still like to, I still like to come out of the West. I mean, San Diego State uh, is kind of a big leap for me to, to see a team that you know lost in the first round last year go all the way. You know, they, they played well, but they haven't played the kind of schedule that Duke or Texas has played it, to, to make that leap from first round loss to Final Four team the next year. They're certainly they certainly have Duke beaten in athleticism on the you know on the inside, but I don't know if I if I'm as confident in their guard play. Uh, some people are, and then I think that in, in those big, in the, at least in those first two games against BYU, when they're full strength, like they didn't look that great. Uh, right. I, I think that the, the tournament experience of Duke will eventually kind of make the difference there. Now, in the Southwest, it kind of feels like the most chalk bracket to me. I think Kansas is a really strong one. Notre Dame was fighting for a one right up until the end. Even Purdue seemed like they had a chance to get a one, ended up on the three line. Uh, who do you like in the Southwest? For some reason, I have this feeling, and, and I can't explain exactly why that Kansas that something is going to happen to Kansas before Houston. Uh, I don't. I just it, it's a team that I think has the most talent out of anyone in that bracket, but sometimes kind of is, has lapses. I mean, if they play like they did in the Big Twelve tournament, I think that's that's what everyone saw last of them, and that's why so many people are high on Kansas. We've also seen them on the road and various places just kind of go through these lulls. And I think a team like Louisville that, you know, maybe no one's talking about that much, but that's really defensively sound. Yeah. 
um, and, and kind of doesn't really oh, have coach. a lot of egos. Could could pull off an upset, you know, in the Sweet Sixteen. I don't, you know, it's not something I would necessarily put a ton of money on, but I, but in, in a bracket pick, I, I think I might be willing to take that risk. And then, and then yeah, I think you see um, after that happens, you see either one of Notre Dame or Purdue in terms of who's the hottest kind of slip through the Final Four. I and mean, I think that Purdue is the strongest team, but they've played two miserable games right before the tournament. And right. I guess it's a question of whether can they turn it around. I mean, it's a great team on the season, but if their last two games, I guess at, losing at Iowa is kind of, you know, inexcusable. And then their first round bowing out against Michigan State was not good in the Big Ten tournament. So if they turn it around, I think they're still the strongest team. But I, I think the door is open for Notre Dame to actually – Okay, last thing in the Southeast, can Jimmer carry BYU to the Final Four? We talked a little bit about Belmont, Michigan State versus UCLA. Seems like an interesting first-round game. Who, what do you see going on in the Southeast? And then we got to let you go. I uh, I think that I see a Pittsburgh BYU final uh, with Pitt kind of using Gilbert Brown to shut down Jimmer, and that, that's where that's where Jimmer's run stops. Just because, and I think that in that game. Pitt's sort of, you know, Pitt's a huge advantage inside just in terms of pulling down a lot of offensive rebounds Well, BYU has, you know, little power to stop it with their thinner front line would be the difference. So I have Pitt, yeah, Pitt going to the final floor there. Okay, who's your champ? Ohio State. I've been, I've been set on them for a couple months. I think I just, like I said before, it's just a, it's a team that to me has, no, no real flaws. I know people point to a little to short depth, but they don't foul much. They don't get in that kind of. It, I haven't seen them get in the kind of trouble that would really, you know, require more depth. They think that I, I think that they have a perfect rotation, uh, and that they will. You know, you can't just take one thing away. If you focus on Sullinger, Diebler, and Buford, kill you on threes. If you focus, you know, on walking down, on pressing to the outside to take with a three pointer, as you leave Sullinger you know, in one-on-one coverage, and he destroys you inside from the free throw line. It's just right. it's a well-balanced team. I think they've been they've been well-positioned to win the national title for a couple months now, and nothing has changed. All right, Luke Wynn, you follow him on SI this week, his wonderful uh, SI at the tournament blog. Have fun this week. It's a crazy couple of days for you, I'm sure. Don't get too burned out. And uh, thanks for making time for the sportscasters. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, thanks, buddy. It. Later Bye. on. Yep. All right. All right, that music means only one thing, Donnie. Book club. Book club. Book club update, nerd alert. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to mention uh, real quickly that we are working the book club this month on the Best American Sports Writing Series. Uh, I've had a good time so far looking through these books. Uh, I think I wrote a little bit of a blog on a few articles I read about Bo Jackson, which I found to be really interesting. And right now I'm reading a really interesting article from 2004 from the men's journal called Growing Up Mantle, and it's just a really interesting article about uh, a guy who grew up a big Mickey Mantle fan, and um, uh, I'm really enjoying that, and I've been kind of picking through this uh, 1984 uh, book. I enjoyed uh, that Bob Ryan had a column in here called Misery Has Company. Um, It was about uh, the Red Sox and their uh, World Series drought uh, at that point, and um, uh, goes on to talk about how they had won uh, game one of the series, or game four of the series to start their comeback. 
And that's an interesting thing about this 2004 book is it really highlights the, uh, it does a good job with the uh, Red Sox and their improbable um, win, uh, kind of alternating from uh, Boston articles to New York articles. So um, I've really enjoyed enjoyed looking at this 2004 one. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, everyone out there, if you have any of these, read them and uh, get on the forums and comment on some articles. Uh, Especially those, liked. those close to us. I, I mean, I know I've given my brother one. I've given my friend Matt one. Uh, Donnie, you have a couple. A friend of the podcast, Deegan, has a few. And, and we've all been reading them, but we haven't been uh, writing as much as I'd like. So try to get to the forum and, uh, and put, some, put some stuff on Book Club. It's still two weeks out that we will have on... Uh, editor glenn stout uh who's a really interesting guy so that'll be two weeks so two mo- two weeks more uh with the best american sports ring series all right so here's where the show's going to go from here we've already had luke win on and luke win uh basically got down to dirty as you heard we talked real basketball stuff with luke um after this short book club announcement we're going to have on uh neil best uh from new york newsday and he's going to tell us about uh, the media aspect of the tournament. After that, we're going to go right into an interview that we did with Warren Packard from uh, Thuz, dot com. And then the last interview that we do is with uh, Zach Rosenfield. So we're going to do three straight interviews here, and then we'll be back uh, with pick four to kind of close out. Uh, so enjoy the interviews. Uh, I think they're all very unique, Don, and, uh, and they're very fun. Absolutely. Wait till you hear the end of the uh, AccuScore Zach one. That one gets silly. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but we'll be back with uh, pick four after a few interviews. Our next guest is from East Northport, New York, and is a graduate of Cornell University. He first worked at Newsday in 1982 before leaving briefly to cover cover college hockey in Anchorage, Alaska. He returned in 1985 and spent the next five seasons covering New York high school sports and then spent five years covering St. John's and Big East basketball as Newsday's beat writer. He then spent the next 10 seasons covering the Giants before leaving that beat to become a reporter, columnist, and feature writer focused on off-field topics such as sports, media, and business. His Sports Watch column debuted on September 30th, 2005. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Neil Best. How are you doing today, Neil? You know, the, that Cornell fight song just kind of bums me out only because for the first time in four years, Cornell's not actually in the NCAA tournament, but yeah. I was used to that. Until three years ago, that was the normal situation, but now I've gotten spoiled. Yeah. But anyway, it's good, it's good to hear that music, I guess. Don and I were just discussing that um, Cornell... Uh, I said I told him, you know, that Cornell usually is the representative for for the Ivy League, but you are still alive in hockey. Well, we're always alive in hockey. That, right. that, that's our that's our bread and butter. But you know, these last three years, it's been kind of cool actually being in a uh, basketball tournament. So we'll, it's okay. We're renting the spot to Princeton for a year, but um, maybe they'll be back next year. Now, my brother is actually going to be playing at Yale next year, um, playing hockey at Yale. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. So. Um, 
he's going to be playing your Cornell team, and maybe we'll have to have some bets next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yale Rink is a weird place, but it's kind of cool. Wow, that's a, he must be a pretty good player, obviously, to be playing there. Yeah, he's in USHL right now, so um, he's, wow. uh, he's excited to get to Yale next year and start his college hockey career. But, um, when, I was at, when I was at Cornell, we rarely had more than one or two Americans on the team, of course. So. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and more and more Canadians are playing college hockey, too, it seems like, probably even then when, when you were covering college hockey. What, what, why don't you tell me real quick about your experience covering college hockey in Anchorage, Alaska? I found that really interesting. Um, well, I think, well, that was the main reason they brought me up there. At the time, the University of Alaska at Anchorage was Division Two. Now they're Division One. Right. But when I was there, they were a Division Two power and... Uh, um, you know, they were one of the best Division II teams in the country, but then in 83, 84, because of a bizarre technicality that I won't get into the details of which they got eliminated, they, they were not eligible for the Division II tournament, and that was a huge story at the time, but, um, you know, but they, but they, it was a nice program, and like I said, now them and the University of Alaska at Fairbanks are Division One, so, right. you know, it's, it's, it's become bigger than when I was there. And now they don't even have D2, really, either. There's just the D1 and the D3 right. tournament. Yeah. Right. No, but it's uh, you know it's a great hockey. It's um, well you know it, it was a, it was a good state for hockey and uh, you know other indoor sports like basketball and wrestling and stuff. Not so big on football and baseball though. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, kind of it's a different kind of year for the NCAA tournament and watching it. And the reason I wanted to have uh, someone who focused on studying the sports media on the broadcast this year is because CBS has made so many changes to their coverage that I wanted to make sure everyone was up to date. So why don't you kind of just catch us up a little bit on how CBS is covering this tournament compared to how they've covered it in the past years? Well, I mean, you know, in some ways it's much simpler than it's been in the past because bottom line is every single minute of all 67 games will be on national television um, as long as you have those three Turner cable channels, TBS, TNT, and uh, True TV. Now, I know most people don't know where True TV is, but the reality is it is in 92 million homes, and it's, uh, in the New York area, the um, you know less than 5% of homes uh, don't have those channels. So, assuming you have those four channels, it's a great, to me, it's a great thing. It's just a matter of kind of, the, the way CBS puts it is, you, you're basically do the job we used to do, which is decide when to change channels, and, um, yeah, I think it's a great thing for avid fans who really sometimes do want to watch a whole game. I could see where if you're kind of a casual fan, it used to be nice to kind of put on CBS, let them decide what the best game is. You sort of don't worry about it. You just sit there and watch whatever they show you. Yeah, but for the diehards who really want to see what's going on, this is, I mean, it's a great thing. You, you can see any game you want as long as you want. If you've got four TVs lined up in a row, you can watch them all at the same time if you want. Right. So I think it's it's clearly a net positive for for viewers as far as I'm concerned. Now, what do you uh, the selection show? It was interesting. I didn't realize it was going to happen until it did. That uh, Charles Barkley was on the panel, and right. I realized that some of these games are going to be you know on the Turner uh, on TBS. And uh, what do you think about the, them incorporating some of the normally pro uh, right. analysts onto the college coverage? I mean, you know what, honestly, during the tournament, I think it's going to be fine, particularly on the games themselves. Guys like Steve Kerr and Reggie Miller will be fine. But even Barkley and Kenny Smith in the studio, when they're talking about games that they've just been watching, I mean, obviously they know basketball. I thought the, the, worst, the worst situation to put Barkley and Kenny in was putting them on that selection show. Now, I, because, you know, that's when you really have to know, be able to say something intelligent about VCU on a moment's notice. 
And to me, it was pretty obvious that they were, first of all, there were too many people on the set, but second of all, right. that Barkley and Kenny were talking in kind of, you know, generalities in a way where a Seth Davis can really break it down, and like the ESPN guys could really break it down, you know, understandably so. So I, I thought that was a mistake putting Barkley on that selection show. But but again, when, once the games start and all he's doing is observing what he's seeing in a basketball game, I, I think they'll be fine. Now, it was interesting because I watched the selection show on CBS and they had in, they interviewed uh, the chairman of the committee, and mm-hmm. it it really they really made the the interview really made it seem like they did a great job. And then I switched over to ESPN, and Jay Billis is just absolutely killing them. <laughs> uh, do you think uh, do you think CBS is too easy on the committee, and do you th- or do you think Jay Billis is a little too hard? Is it somewhere in the middle? I mean, because it's two completely different opinions on well, one. I, as usual, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Because, right. uh, yes, I do think CBS definitely goes a little easy because they all, let's face it, they're, the, the NCAA is their partners, right. quote-unquote. And ESPN, you know, basically covers college basketball all year and it gets it snatched away from it uh, for the tournament. And they, they actually did want to get those rights this year before CBS and Turner beat them out. So, look, I mean, I, I'm not accusing of, uh, of the analysts of, of fabricating opinions based on, you know, corporate politics. However, I also would, I am convinced that the tone of that ESPN show would have been different if they had the rights to that tournament, because that was, it was not just Billis, it was, it was like, I was actually talking to an ESPN PR person today, it was like, the, the the four or five of them like showed up, they should have showed up in like a gang clothes, with yeah. like chains and chains and guns and clubs or something they were it was such a beat down they were like lining up to take shots at the committee i've never seen anything like that yeah they were very harsh i thought but and, and but there's no way there's no in my opinion again i'm not accusing them of fabricating their opinions however i believe that tone would not have been the same if espn was hosting that tournament and you know and as a fan too i kind of i couldn't i couldn't get to a point where i could feel jay billis's passion about a team not being in a field of 69. You know, like I couldn't be that upset that Virginia Tech didn't make, you know, wasn't know. the 37th best at large team. I, I just couldn't find the passion. And, and that's why I kind of felt like it had to be a little bit, I don't know, I don't want to say fabricated, but toned up. Well, you know, it's, it's the other thing that obviously that goes on, and this is nobody's fault, it's just the reality of the weirdness of college basketball where you have four months where only really diehard fans are paying much attention, and suddenly for one month the whole world cares. And, you know, inevitably what, happen, what happened Monday is what happens every year on the Monday after the selection show. Every sports talk host in the world is an expert on all this stuff. And every even the, not just them, it's everybody suddenly has an opinion about Colorado being left out, right. where the day before... You know, only the people who follow this stuff very closely knew or cared what's, what Colorado's status was. Because college basketball is a very odd sport. It, it, it's like a, for, for most people, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a four-week season. So it's just a weird thing where college football fans, you know, pay attention for that whole three or, you know, whatever, three or four months. And obviously in the pros, people pay attention during regular season. But the college basketball is a very strange animal, really. Uh, one thing we were kind of kind of killing ESPN a little bit about their reaction to the tournament, but w- to the selection. But one thing I thought they did a really great job w- in was the Big East tournament and kind of the mm-hmm. fiasco in the Rutgers, uh, the Rutgers game. And I just wanted to see what you thought from a media standpoint how that was handled by ESPN and of course the other the other outlets. 
Yeah, well, their announcers were right on it, right, right when it happened, because yep. it was kind of, for those who were watching live, I'm sure it was kind of confusing, and it's easy to not even be paying attention at that point, because you figure the game's over, just like the player thought, and just like the refs thought. But uh, their announcers were all over it. I mean, um, you know, the only other thing they could have done is stay with it, you know, after the game to do additional reporting. But, of course, you know, they have other things to go to and studio shows, and that's kind of hard for them in a way that, um, you know, newspaper reporters or radio people can kind of stick with the story. But as far as their reaction immediately, they they were definitely, you know, tuned into that whole thing right away. So yeah. um, that was good. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the, their coverage of the Big East Tournament in general, though, it goes back to what we said earlier. You know, it's kind of a shame that they cover college basketball so incredibly thoroughly during the, from day one and then suddenly you get to the tournament and it's over. And the same thing happens to them in baseball where they cover baseball very thoroughly, get to the playoffs, they're gone. You know, at least now they have the college football, you know, bowls. You know, they have the BCS bowls now, so that makes sense. But um And they have no NFL yeah. playoffs either, so they they miss out there. That's another one, right, exactly. They're paying a one point one billion dollars a year to carry those Monday night football games and they don't even get the playoffs. So you know, that's it's kind of a weird thing where the old broadcast networks still have that financial power to 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 get those events. Now, the next interesting coming up is the Olympic rights for 2014 and 16, where NBC is going to be a little more careful with its money than in the past because Comcast, that's Comcast's kind of attitude. So ESPN is going to try for those Olympics, and um, you know, if they really want them, they'll get them because they do have deeper pockets than anybody else. But you know, ESPN is an odd thing that way, where they cover sports so so thoroughly, but they're missing a lot of the postseasons. Yeah. Now, uh, going forward, I mean, I think this is going to be the first tournament where kind of Twitter is what Twitter is now. I mean, I know it was around for last year's tournament, but I think it's kind of grown and and established its place in pop culture um, a lot differently than it has in any previous tournament. What do you think the the effect of Twitter will be? How do you think Twitter will interact with the NCAAs this year? Well, I mean, you know, in terms of fans and reporters, it just helps that much more with publicity and chatter and discussion and debate, et cetera, et cetera. As far as, you know, we've seen so many pro athletes now get themselves in trouble with stuff they say on Twitter. I, I assume college athletes are more restricted in terms of what they can say on Twitter, because once those guys, if they start getting active in it, they could really get themselves in trouble. Yeah. But, you know, as far as just, though, the the national conversation, for lack of a better word, about the tournament, obviously something like Twitter fits right in because you've got people, especially four games on at once now, you know, people, if you're actually following Twitter during a game and talking about some amazing thing happening on True TV, then you're going to turn from CBS to True TV. Yeah. How has Twitter affected your job and your column? Um, you know, it, it's kind of, to me, Twitter is an, is an evolution. It's the next step in the evolution from originally having the website, then we had the blogs, then we, now it's Twitter. It's all just another thing to, another place to put our observations slash information. And, you know, the challenge to me is just figuring out what bucket to put stuff in. What, okay, this works best right. on Twitter. This I should put on my blog. This has got to be in the newspaper. Um, so it's been an... I mean, it's been interesting to me to see this all happen. Um, but, you know, all, all of it's made, let's put it this way, all of that stuff has made the job simultaneously more difficult and time-consuming and also more time pressure. But it's also made it more interesting because it's, you know, so much more creative freedom for how you write stuff on Twitter or a blog 
than in the old-fashioned newspaper style. So it's been mostly good. I think it's been interesting to see how the different newspapers have reacted to new media and things like that. I know for Newsday on Newsday.com, your column is hidden behind a paywall. But right. if you download the Newsday app for the iPhone or for the iPad, you can access that information for free, at least for now. So right. yeah, so it's well. I mean, the, the, the paywall, you know, in, in turn, in a, as a business decision, uh, there's a lot about what what they're there's a lot behind their paywall strategy that that makes sense actually. But there's no question that and I've told this to Jim Dolan face to face. There's no question this paywall is a it's a huge hit to our egos because obviously our page views and our visibility have gone down. Right. And also, in some ways, it hurts your ability to report, because when you're le- less visible, you know, you sort of have less influence, and people tell you th- are less apt to tell you things than if you're more widely available. But, you know, I mean, the bottom line is that we all want what's best for the paper's uh, long-term survival, both for our jobs and also for the role it plays in the you know, Long Island community. So if, if the paywall helps do that and i think we most of us are okay with it but it there's no question it's a it's a it's an ego blow <laughs> now we're downstate in buffalo and you guys are are we are we upstate are we downstate <laughs> am i screwing that up am i screwing my geography west. up we're west all right so we're in western new york well, buffalo will be western new york yeah we're in, we're in buffalo <laughs> in western new york and and you're in new york city and i gotta say it maybe it's been probably seven eight years now the s network came out and uh buffalo right away picked up the s network and i was introduced to mike and the mad dog and uh i became the biggest mike and the mad dog fan probably on the planet and you're the first new york sports critic that we've ever interviewed on this show uh from new york city and i have to talk to you about mike and the mad dog and i want you know what i want to know is how uh, do you think the mad dog regret, regrets his decision as he's kind of faded out of the subconscious and could there be anyone more happy than Mike Francesa who seems to have been okay with the loss of the Mad Dog and it seems like his show just sputters on um you know I don't know if Mike is happy I mean I, I well first of all I, that's an interesting question I don't know if Mike would say he's happy or not happy I mean clearly he's happy that he's maintained the ratings without Chris which he's which he's definitely done um, yeah, but I, I, I also think there are times where Mike does miss him. As far as Chris goes, I mean, he's—I mean, there have been times where he has basically admitted to me and others that it's or joked about the fact that his lack of visibility is difficult to take. Um, there's no question about that. Uh, but you know, he—he he knew that going in. I mean, it's not like it's a surprise. He got a lot of money, and uh, I mean, as far as I know, Chris—he um, doesn't. As far as I know, he doesn't regret his decision, but there's no question that there are aspects of his new job that are difficult to accept. Number one, among them clearly being his, you know, less visibility than he used to have. Yeah, I mean, and I remember when the Giants won the World Series, all I wanted to do was to hear what, you know, right. Chris Russo had to say about it. And I, as far as I heard, Francesa did offer him the opportunity to come on, but yeah, si- serious when not let him. I mean, it, yeah, right. it's... Um, yeah, I mean that's the other thing. As far as I know, unless they're both lying to me and to you know and to others, uh, their their personal relationship is is fine. They, I think they got sick of each other more professionally than personally. Although there was you know certainly a personal element to it, but as far as I know, they are um, you know on, on good terms now. And my opinion of the show, and again I've written this and I've said it to Mike directly. I, I mean, there's no way you can argue that the show is better now without the two of them together. It lost that chemistry. Um, you know, however. 
what matters in that business is ratings, and there is no, it's indisputable that even, what's it been now, three years, I guess, or two, two and a half, whatever it is, two and a half, I guess, the, the, you know, the, the, the ratings are the ratings, and that's the bottom line, and Mike has maintained the ratings. Right, I think it was So, August if you're CBS Radio, you're happy, you know, because you only got to pay one guy, and you get good ratings. Right, I think it was August of 08 when they broke up, but, uh, or Mad Dog jumped ship. Now, do you know how long Mad Dog has signed on Sirius? Because I'm pretty sure it's a five-year deal. I, I uh, as I recall, I, mean, I wrote it at the time. I believe it was five, which means that he's, you know he's about halfway through it. Do you think Sirius considers it a success? Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that because, of course, they wouldn't answer me honestly anyway. Right. It's, see, with them, it's a little harder because they don't really have ratings the way terrestrial radio, radio does. It's very hard to prove or disprove. You know, who's buying. Who's, who's subscribing to Sirius, you know, based on Chris Russo, it's a very sort of intangible thing. I mean, it's, uh, unless you're a Howard Stern, it's not like people are subscribing to Sirius for one particular station. There's a lot of, it's sort of a, like HBO. I mean, you, you, you subscribe because of a, a you know, a, a package of stuff that they offer you. So who right. knows? I mean, I, let's put it this way. If, if Mike or Chris signed their contracts now in this economy compared to when they both signed in the summer of 08, right. Yeah, you know, there's no way they'd be getting either one of them be getting the money that they're getting now. Well, my next question was going to be that I I cannot imagine that Sirius is going to pay Chris Russo the the same money that they paid him in 2008 when his contract runs up. Right. Is there any chance? I mean, everyone dreams of it, right? It's like with a band or yeah, any other group that I, breaks I, up. Is there what? any I, chance I, of reunion? I, I think that the answer is no at this moment, and primarily because, you know, strictly in business terms, why would CBS want to pay Chris Russo when they're getting the ratings they are, which is Mike Francesa? Um, you know, I, I think it's more likely that ESPN might go after Chris, but it, that that's going to be very interesting because I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I don't, I don't think he'll reunite with Mike, but obviously stranger things have happened. Yeah, I guess the Eagles uh, reunited. They said that would never happen. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, well, I know. Well, it was fun. When it was it? I guess during the '09 World Series, was it? They got together for about an hour, and that was kind of fun. Yeah, they even played um, the song you know, at the beginning of the I show. I mean, maybe he'll go to it. Well, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't see it, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. Right. We were talking with Neil Best on the Sports uh, Casters. Neil, of course, is a sports media and sports business analyst in New York City. One last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, and I've asked a couple. Uh, I asked uh, Richard Deitch this and others. When ESPN started their 30 for 30 series, they, I remember Bill Simmons saying that he wanted to uh, surpass uh, HBO as the leader in sports documentaries. And I think this last week was the best chance we've ever had to sit back and look and compare where the two franchises are at. Because they both put out in relatively the same time, basically the same documentary. Where right. HBO, <laughs> you know, HBO ran their documentary about uh, UNLV from the you know, early 90s, and uh, the 30 for 30 production company put out their, uh, their documentary from, for, with Michigan. And I just wanted to know where you thought the battle for uh, sports documentary supremacy lies right now and how you think ESPN has done the last few years improving that brand. Well, I'm going to give you an extremely boring answer on that because, to me, I mean, but only because I believe it. You know, to me, this this battle that they were having is only good for viewers because you know HBO has produced these quality documentaries for years. Now suddenly ESPN comes along and wants to get in the, get in the game, and all that means is there's like you know more stuff for people to watch. I think, first of all, Simmons and HBO did kind of. 
uh, he and Ross Greenberg talked in the last few months, and now they're like buddies again. So it's not they don't view it as documentary war anymore. But you know, I thought Simmons made some fair points about the sameness of HBO's documentaries because it's true that they have the same narrator and the same kind of style. And and, and while that style is, is a quality style, you know you can make the argument that the thirty for the nice thing about thirty for thirty was how all over the place it was and everything was different. And that's yeah. good too. So, but you know, it's like comparing uh, HBO Real Sports and ESPN, uh, you know, whatever it's called, E60. Yeah. Um, You know, again, I mean, uh, from a viewer's standpoint, we'll bring it on. I mean, the more sports journalism and documentaries there are, the better. As far as which is better or not, I mean, it's hard to say. You know, you have to look at that on a case-by-case basis, really, because I kind of like the Fab Five one more than UNLV, but partly because I feel more of an emotional connection with that team because I covered them so much in those two tournaments. But um, uh, you know, but but like I said, the, the boring answer is I, I don't even care which is better because they're both good and like the more the merrier. You know. Are you surprised you mentioned Simmons? Are you surprised at how powerful he is? I mean, I know he's got an incredible following, and I'm I, 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 I give him credit because he's built it up himself, really. Um, and he's got the incredible following, but I'm surprised that he's powerful enough to say to ESPN, I want to do something outside of the name of ESPN. And it seems like, even though it's been tight-lipped, that him and Chuck Klosterman are going to have some kind of product outside of the ESPN name. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess that came, I assume that came down to ESPN wanting to keep him and him insisting that for on that for his new contract. But, you know, he's well, even though he likes to throw barbs their way and kind of be the, you know, the kid in the back of the room throwing spits, you know, shooting spitballs, I mean, the reality is he is extremely popular. He's great for ESPN. I mean, he 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 basically come up with the idea for Thirty for Thirty. So they like having him around. I mean, and he's worth the money. Uh, he makes a lot of money, but he also produces a lot of uh, you know page views and attention. You know, Rick Riley hasn't the contract hasn't worked out quite that way, I guess, because his, right. <laughs> his power and visibility at ESPN are a little bit less than Bill's. But And like you alluded to it earlier, you know, you got to give Bill credit for essentially inventing a new form of sports writing, really, or at least popularized, popularizing it. So, yeah, he deserves a lot of credit, and he's very good at what he does, and you can't, certainly can't take that away from him. One last thing, because you led me here. You mentioned uh, Rick Riley and how his visibility has went down quite a bit. How do you think Joe Piznanski is going to do on the back page of uh, of SI? Well, I think he's. An, I mean, I, I love him as a writer. I think he's a great writer, and I like his stuff. And I think he'll be. I, I always like his stuff, so I think that's that's a good thing. You know, the thing about Rick is he's still. You know, even though people make fun of his writing for sort of being yeah. almost a parody of itself, but that to me it doesn't change the reality that the guy is a, is still a good writer and has always been a good writer. I just thought that TV. Would, was never a good fit for him. That's why I thought the ESPN thing was kind of weird from the beginning. He doesn't come off great on TV to me. To me, he's a writer. Um, you know, so I just, I just thought that was a weird fit, but, you know, whatever. I mean, when his contract's up, he'll either stay there or go somewhere else and keep writing. And, you know, it's very hard for me to criticize any kind of sports journalist making a lot of money. To me, it's kind of like, you know, it's like the idea of a golfer being jealous of Tiger Woods' money, you know, pre, you know, the old tiger, let's say. Right. Yeah. You know, the reality is, the more the if sports journalists make a lot of money, you know, in some way that trickles down to everyone else because it, it elevates the importance of everyone. So, I'm never jealous of a guy making a lot of money. All right. I have an unrelated question based on your uh, a tweet you sent out yesterday. You really have four standard definition TVs in your house. People are people are just <laughs> so people get like angry when I tell them this because 
because part, partly just because I'm a sports fan, but even more so because of my job, I guess. First of all, I tell them that 90% of the time I write about what people say on TV, not what they show. So professionally, it's really not a problem. As far as just like, I, I'm so, I, I don't... I don't know how to. I just don't care. I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> I, I've I've seen plenty of HD television. I know what it looks like. I know it looks good. And if one of, and if our main family television breaks, yeah, of course I'm going to get one of those. But I have this 1995, like 300 pound monster Sony that's like 32 inch screen, but it's like three feet deep, and you know, and <laughs> it's ridiculous and it's old school, but it still works. So what, why would I throw away a working television? <laughs> If I was your son, I would be like trying to sabotage that TV no, daily. I, I, think. You know, I, I, I've, I have two daughter, two teenage daughters, and I've asked. I said, "Look, people think I'm nuts. You know, do you, does it bother you guys that we don't have HD TV?" And they they say they don't care, and my wife doesn't care, so I, I don't care. When the TV breaks, I get a new. I get a nice TV. You'll love the new one, though. It'll be glorious watching I those see, games I in HD. I know what HD looks like. I know it looks good, <laughs> especially for. I mean, I'm a big hockey guy. I know it looks great for hockey, but oh. but I I just don't care enough to get rid of my perfectly good 1995 Sony. <laughs> Are you a Rangers guy or an Islanders guy? I grew up, even though I'm from Long Island, I grew up a Rangers guy because when I was a kid, we had the Rangers home games on our cable system, but never the Islanders. So I am a Ranger. I, I was a I mean, I grew up as a Rangers guy. Now I don't really care, but... Okay, I, so the I, Rangers, are kinda, Rangers, guy. Rangers are kind of skidding into the playoffs a little bit. They've been kind of banged up. They got a lot of injuries. Um, what do you, how do you think the the Rangers will do in the postseason? And uh, well, they're, you know, I mean, at this point, it's kind of grim. I, I'm 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 fascinated by the Devils because if if they make the playoffs, I think it'll be the greatest rise from the dead in the history of pro sports. I mean, because you know, it'd be unbelievable if they make the playoffs given where they were. So that that's interesting to me. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, I. I it's a shame hockey isn't bigger in this country than it is. I mean, I don't. I think I did a tweet. This might have been during the Olympics last year, where I did a tweet saying something that got a lot of people liked. Of course, the hockey people liked it. It said something like, um, "You know, everybody has a right to their opinion, but people who don't think hockey is the best sport are." are I'm, I'm not. I worded it much better on Twitter. Essentially, I was saying <laughs> you have a right to your opinion, but if, if your opinion is not that hockey is the best sport, you're wrong. <laughs> exactly. That's how we feel here too. But <laughs> well, Western New York, of yeah. course, that's a you know the, the 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 local ratings for like NHL games in Buffalo We're are one pretty of the much best. number yeah. one in the league. So yeah. All right, Neil Best, it's been great having you on. We really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can uh, develop a little bit of a relationship and have you on again sometime. Okay. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right, our next guest is a graduate of Stanford University and the cre creator and founder of Thuz.com. That's uh, T-H-U-U-Z.com. His name is Warren Packard. Welcome to the Sportscasters. How are you doing today, Warren? Doing great. How are you doing? We're doing very good. We're here in Buffalo, New York, and I got to tell you this story. A couple weeks ago, I went to um, a Saver season ticket holder, and I went to a home game. And uh, the guy behind me knows that I do this podcast, and he always likes to give me recommendations about what I should do with the podcast. And they're really, they're usually, 
usually really stupid. But uh, <laughs> but uh, he goes, hey, man, uh, you ever heard of Thuz.com? And he's, he's Canadian, and he says, it's T-H-U-U-Z.com. I said, no, nah, I never heard of that. He's like, you got to check it out. It's really cool. So I went home, and I checked it out, and he was right for once. It was really cool. So I, got, I, I found you guys on Twitter, and, and uh, they said to find Warren, send Warren an email. That was you. So here we are today. And uh, I got to tell you, I've been using Thuz for the last couple of weeks, and I don't think I'm quite doing it right because I get some really <laughs> random text messages. So it's a really exciting time to have you on because I think people are going to really like the opportunity to use Thuz for the NCAA tournament and beyond. So why let's, let's start here. Where did the idea for Thuz come from? So with the fact that any gamer match can be now accessed, whether on your TV or on the internet or on your mobile phone. It's everywhere, anytime. It's not just live, but it's archive games. The question now emerges, of what should I watch? And we totally acknowledge that people are fans of, of specific teams and they're going to watch their teams because they love their teams. But a lot of people want more than just that and just love sports entertainment. So a service that points out the most exciting games and matches of every day and even provides a suggestion as to when to tune in so you can maximize your excitement and perhaps even optimize your time at the same time so you can watch more sports was required. So that's what we set out to do is to quantify excitement and, uh, and allow people to expand their horizons beyond just their local teams. Now, the way that you seem to quantify the excitement is a number scale that seems to go from 0 to 100. How exactly is a number assigned to a game? How so do you determine what we do the number? Is, uh, yeah, that's our, that's our secret sauce. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I can certainly describe it at a high level. But basically, every game starts at a 50. So 50 is the average excitement of any game. Right. And then what we do is we look at every single play, and we do this all automatically. We have a feed of the play-by-play. And we move up that excitement rating up or down depending on the play that happened. And so it's more than just... Uh, looking at how close the score is. What we're looking at is the pace of the game. We're looking at how close the teams are playing, not just on the score, but other metrics. We're looking at the novelty of the action, so like really cool things that happen over the course of the game. We're looking at momentum shifts. And then we look at history of the game and the teams, the rivalries, uh, and we bake that in. And all that gets combined, mashed together into a single number on that 0 to 100 scale that changes in real time as the game plays on. Does a, can a game go below 50, like if it's a real dud? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So the average game's a 50. Okay. So we're, we're sending games all the way down to zero, for oh. sure. Okay, that's very interesting. Now, when I started, I, I registered for the site, and uh, you can also, it seems like you can sign in with your Facebook, which is really cool to integrate that, that social network. Yep. And um, you, can all, you can get text messages or emails. Um, and you can kind of customize how you're notified. You want to kind of explain how that process works? Because that's yeah, where sure. I think so, I'm not doing it right. Because sometimes I get some random text message about some game that, you know, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll have to look at your preferences. So that's one of the things is when you sign up, you put in your preferences. So you, okay. you put in uh, certain sports that you like and you want to get uh, alerts for. You also put in uh, your favorite teams. So basically, uh, you know, if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, 
you put that in, you're going to get heightened excitement and heightened awareness for the Sabres. But if you're also a hockey fan, you're going to get alerts for the most exciting hockey games across the NHL. Um, now, when you signed up, if you didn't set your sports preferences, they default to the major uh, U.S. sports. So you're, we're talking about basketball, baseball, football, and hockey. And so possibly, you know, if let's say you're not a uh, basketball fan, right. then you would get some get some basketball alerts. I don't know. Maybe you got some random basketball games from some, you know, Colonial League against the uh, I think the I might have got West something about something. cricket. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But <laughs> Oh, you could definitely get cricket feed, but you'd uh, unless there was a uh, something else that happened, you'd have to check mark cricket. We are covering cricket and we're covering European soccer. Awesome. So, uh, and it's we a, don't automatically sign people up uh, for all those sports. Right. So the sports that you do have are basketball, hockey, soccer, cricket, baseball, and football. And you say you have more coming soon. What are the ones that you're looking to expand to? Right. So I'm not sure if you mentioned soccer, but we've got soccer yep. already uh, mm-hmm. going on. But beyond that, we're going to cover rugby in about four weeks. Okay. Uh, we're going to add in motorsports, golf, and tennis. Oh, excellent. So those are... Those are our near-term ads, and we're also uh, focused on adding the Olympics next year when the uh, Summer Olympic Games are in the UK. Awesome. Now, the big event this week, and the reason that we wanted to have you on now is because the NCAA tournament is coming up, and there's over 100 games in the tournament, and things happen really fast, especially the first four days of the tournament. How can we set up Thu's that, uh, and how can Thu's help us uh, to make sure that we don't miss... Uh, a, Gus, a Gus Johnson buzzer beater or anything <laughs> like that. Right, right. And, and just to be clear, between the NIT and the NC2A, there's 100 games. Right, uh, okay, yeah. Because I'm sure yeah, a bunch of listeners yeah. will do the math. <laughs> yeah, there's, what, 64 plus the new ones in the NCAA and then the NIT, right. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, and we're, and we're going to cover both. And okay. actually, we're covering even more than the NIT. There's two other uh, tournaments yeah, as well. Yeah, the CIT, but, oh. right, and... What's the yeah, other I one? Wondered. I think I know UB, the University of Buffalo, is in one of the other ones. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, and obviously, our attention is focused on the two big ones, and especially the NC two A. And so now, having having said all that, um, the the great thing about March Madness is they've got all these great games. There's uh, 32 games that are j- on Thursday and Friday just for the NC two A alone. Uh, and what we're going to do is, we're uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be tracking each one from the moment they start. And as the excitement heats up, we'll send out an alert uh, for those games that where the excitement passes a threshold. And again, the excitement threshold is actually something that's user-defined. So if you only want a few alerts, uh, you can keep with what's the default, which is a 90, which are these really, truly exceptional games. Or you can lower your excitement threshold and get more alerts for more games, depending on how much action you want to be notified about. But um, we're going to notify you for these great, high-energy, close, back-and-forth games that have a lot of interesting things going on. The one thing that we can't do necessarily in real time is suddenly alert you that it's just about to have a buzzer beater. Right. <laughs> you know, like if the buzzer beater was the thing that pushed it over the threshold, we'll send out an alert, but obviously the, the game will, uh, you know, the buzzer beater will have been over. The good news is that we're going to be linking to the March Madness On Demand uh, streams of these games, and these are both live streams and archive streams. And if so if you miss something, we'll tell you that a game's exciting, and but when we won't start. tell you why. 
Okay. And so it'll allow you to experience all the excitement for your, yourself. You can tune into the stream and have a lot of fun watching it without that tension being blown. And also, the cool things about the tweet is they tell you when the game reached the excitement threshold, right? And it'll tell you to start watching at that certain time. Like yeah, and, and in fact, we actually rewind it a little bit, if you will. We, we, we alert you when you exceed the excitement threshold, but we tell you to start watching as the momentum is building up towards that excitement threshold. So we, we tell you, you know, maybe it's like a couple minutes before then. So you can really feel the emotion, feel the excitement as it grows over the course of the game. And now the great thing about the text messages is there's no extra fee for them. It's just whatever your specific cell plan is, right? Yeah, exactly. This is a right. completely free service. Uh, so both the emails, the text messages, and if you go on our site, every single game has a game excitement rating on it, whether live or uh, uh, after the game is over. So if you wanted to find out you know, how the, uh, you know, the Sabres did against the Blackhawks, uh, if you didn't receive an alert, it probably was below your threshold, and you could figure it out. You know, maybe you, you know, the Sabres crushed the Blackhawks, and you know, so the, the game was only a, a 10. But actually, that's one of those uh, nice little personalization features that we're building into the site, is that if you say you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, and you do crush the Blackhawks, we're going to send you a game excitement alert, whereas that's not going to be interesting for anybody else. Right. Um, it certainly is for the Sabres fans, and that's part of the personalization. I did notice all the scores on the site. Uh, have there been any games that have been 100 on the radio yeah, scale? Yeah, uh, a- absolutely. In fact, um, I'm, I'm going to pop on the site myself to find out where our last 100 was. But believe it or not, since you brought up cricket, I'm going to bring up cricket for a second. We had our very first cricket match reach 100 just the other day. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it's kind of funny. You know, cricket's not actually a sport that I follow myself. Uh, but it has a huge following over, you know, worldwide. And, you know, if I'm going to watch any cricket game, I might as well watch the cricket game that heats up to 100. Right. Because that one's going to be worthwhile. I took my uh, honeymoon in Jamaica, and actually, whenever I was in the hotel room, it seemed like uh, cricket was on. What's weird about cricket, though, is doesn't one team take, like, all their innings before the other team? How do you determine excitement then? Yeah, exactly. So... Let me answer the general question and then get to cricket. The general, or the general answer is that every sport is different. And so what that means is that we have to come up with formulas for each individual sport so that it, based on their own terms. So as you might imagine, in basketball, there's lots of scoring. You've got a lot of information about what's going on. Whereas in soccer, for instance, right. you could have a 0-0 game, believe it or not, that is thrilling, and a 0-0 game that's a complete dud. Right. And so you need to be very... Um, you need to get into the data. You need to know what's actually happening. You need to know who's, you know, where the ball is on the field, who's passing to who, how many shots on goal, how many shots off the crossbar, how many times the goalie had to dive, how many, you know, you've got to get into these games and understand them all the way through. Uh, at Thu's, we've got uh, two of our engineers are located in India. These guys that we've known actually for a number of years. The good news is they're cricket fanatics. <laughs> they know the game backwards and forwards, and and they absolutely love it. So they're the guys who focused on getting our, our uh, game excitement calculations ready for cricket. It, it wasn't me. It wasn't anybody <laughs> just trying to guess uh, how it's exciting. Uh, so that's, that's critical for us is to have experts, if you will, not only from inside our company, but going to a panel of outsiders to verify and validate that our results are, are pretty darn good. And, uh, and then on top of that, we've got the personalization features that allow you, the individual, 
to start tuning excitement for your own feelings because, of course, everybody's got a different notion for what's exciting and what's not. Now, I found it pretty interesting just kind of flipping around. Uh, you know, you can find out what the most recent exciting games were, for instance, in the NBA. Uh, on 314, you had an 88. So that was yesterday. The 76ers and the Jazz went up to 88, and it started at 335 in the first quarter. So it was a pretty good game all throughout then, huh? You know, it's interesting. Um, so the the game, if you go on our site and you're probably also looking at it, you can actually see a game excitement timeline. Right, on the bottom, and in the yellow there. And the That's right. right. And so, the, you know, the red at the very end is, you know, red hot. You know, that's, you know, where the game really warmed up. But you can see there was uh, some interesting, exciting things going on right as the second quarter was starting. Uh-huh. And yep. so I see we that. rewound from there 335 into the first quarter as it was warming up to that particular peak. But then the, in the middle of the game there, you can see there were some slow points. Yep. So not every game follows, you know, just it gets up to excitement and stays there. Um, and in this particular case, our algorithm picked out 335 to go in the first quarter. Probably easily could have picked out, you know, about uh, six minutes to go in the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, it's, it's also pretty interesting. Just while we were talking, just to kind of show how this goes, I was uh, looking through the basketball and uh, the game that is just about starting, the first round game, and Dayton popped up, and yep. I saw that it started at a 50, and it's up to a 52 as, yep. uh, as the game is going. So that was very, very cool as well. So I can imagine uh, on Thursday having my page loaded up uh, to the NCAA page, and I, I imagine all the games are going to be listed with, do you, do you, set, do you guess... Ahead, you, you put a, a number ahead of time, like an 8-9 matchup is going to be a 75 and a 16-1 is going to be a you know, lower number? You, you know, we, we don't guess the, the final game excitement, okay. but what we do is we put a pregame bonus in. In fact, if you scroll down to the bottom of that screen, which I think you're on, yep. you'll see some upcoming games, yeah. and you'll see some plus fives and plus twos there. Yeah. And so we're basically, you can, you can see the reason... Uh, why, you know, like, you know, Portland's coming back, being strong, playing Dallas Mavericks in the NBA, we gave that a plus five. Right. Um, in the, NC, the NIT round one games, we gave plus twos. So we're, we're basically saying, hey, there's some heightened excitement. There's a reason why these games going in are going to be interesting because they're tournament games or they're special teams playing or good rivalries. In fact, when it gets to the finals of the NC2A tournament, don't be surprised to see like a plus 20 there. Right, awesome. Where? The Sabers are actually a plus ten tonight, and it's got a there you go. it's got a, a there you number go. one there, <laughs> fan number one uh, for the Sabers and Hurricanes tonight. Um, so that's Absolutely. a plus well, ten. Yeah, it's so very cool. If if you're a fan, you'll see a, a big foam finger there, and that's what the plus ten is all about. Ah, uh, yeah, I am a fan of the Sabers, so I have the foam so, finger. So I'm not seeing the plus ten. Uh, I I hate to say this, I'm actually a Blackhawks fan. Okay, but, well, uh, hey, Patrick Kane's a Buffalo native. Yeah, at, there you go. Yeah, um, but we'll give a. Pl- that's part of our personalization is we give the foam finger to people uh, for that are you know fanning their teams, and then we'll put the plus five or plus twos or whatever in the bubble. Um, that has to do with the game itself. You know, there's some reason why this game is particularly special. Now, if I pick out a team I hate, do you have a foam finger that holds up the middle finger? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're a child friendly. Oh, okay, it's fan friendly. I see. All right, so we wouldn't do that then, but that would be an we're interesting. We're not doing idea. that yet, but I do like the idea. Yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> idea because we, you know, maybe if you hate the Devils, you might wanna you might wanna see that there. But that'd be good. Wow. So this is. Uh, 
This is a really, really, the website is just as good as the alerts itself. You know, when I first, before I talked to you tonight, I kind of was focusing more on the idea of getting the alerts. But now that I see you can really use the website uh, to get a lot of information that's really exciting, you know, just as much as the alerts. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and that's what we recommend is to do both. You know, yeah. to get the alerts, that way if you're not paying attention, you know, you're on the road or whatever, you'll get notification. But if you are at work, Instead of putting on, you know, four or five games at a time and trying to keep your eyes on your work and on the games and stuff, just put up these, uh, the game excitement numbers and you'll see the, the, the game ebb and flow. And if they get up high enough, you'll know what to tune into. And uh, it's, it's a way to focus. We're a workplace productivity tool. <laughs> right. Now, I could see, I don't know if you've gotten this feedback. But I could see a bunch of guys saying that they were stuck watching uh, Desperate Housewives or something. And then they got an alert and they said, honey, Thuz.com says that the game is really exciting right now. Can we please change it? And then they get to change the station. Have you, have you gotten such feedback? You, you know, I, I love this uh, use case. because So my wife is not a huge sports fan. But right. ever since uh, I started getting the alerts and keeping a track of the alerts, she doesn't mind tuning in because she knows that it's going to be like 20 minutes of a game right. or 15 minutes of a game. It's like the thing that scared her to that death was two and a half hours of a mm. game that might or might not be interesting. You know, she wanted none of that. And then, like, for the kids, she didn't want me sitting down in front of the TV for two or two and a half hours with the kids. But now it's like, hey, there's, you know, the, you know it's in the fourth quarter – uh, it's the you know it's the Warriors against the the Knicks. It's a great game. She's like, great. Let's let's all go watch. And right. so it does make it a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, it's really it really is a fantastic site. So how does I know they're on they're on uh, a lockout right now, but we're all in this country huge huge NFL fans, right. and uh, hopefully they'll get things sorted out uh, during the season. But how is your how is your feedback, and how how do people utilize? Uh, the football when the NFL was going out, and is it, is that seemed to be a high traffic time for the site? Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, yeah. you know, one of the, the most fun we have is like during November when you've got pro football, college football, yep. college basketball, baseball, pro basketball, right. hockey, and you could have you know four hundred games on a given day. Think about a Saturday where you've got college basketball and college football going on. Yeah, it's, it's just nuts, and it's fantastic to be able to kind of sift through that. And find out what are, what are the greatest games, and so and a lot of these games are shown on, for instance, ESPN three on the online ESPN station, and we'll link to every single one of those, and so you could actually watch a game that's way out of market, that might be a complete barn burner, uh, and then even if you missed it, we've got you know ESPN three has the archives, right. or maybe you go, you go into NFL Sunday Ticket, uh, and and get one of those premium packages or NBA League Pass or NHL. Uh, game center so it's it's great to be curating all these different games and pulling people into the games and you know hey if you've got an hour why not watch three games or four games and then get that meat of the game and, and i love sports center nothing at all against highlights but i love getting pulled into a game and watching a game because uh, you can really get that emotional attachment to it yeah, the sportscasters here. We've been talking to uh, Warren Packard from the really exciting uh, Thuz.com. Uh, you can find it at www.thuuz.com. They're also on Twitter, which we are so fond of, and that is at Thuz Tweets, T-H-U-U-Z Tweets. 
Uh, anything else you'd like to add, Warren, before we let you go? Uh, I'll, I'll just reiterate that for, for March Madness, this is a great way to go because uh, whether you can watch at work or can't watch at work, we've got the right solution for you because there's just too much going on. And then it extends into the baseball season with you know 162 games per team. You know, it's, it's great to have somebody looking over your shoulder, tapping you on the shoulder and telling you what's exciting without blowing the excitement. That's what we're all about. All right. Thank you. I mean, I learned a lot. It was, it was, it was way more interesting, actually, than I thought it would be. Just kind of uh, opened my eyes to a lot of really cool things on the site and to the service. And, and we wish you the best. And maybe we'll have you on uh, again sometime to uh, let us know how the site is progressing. That's right. Every couple weeks, we have new functionality. So thanks. I appreciate the time, Steve. Yeah. Thank you very much, Warren. Right on. Our next guest resides in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, California, and is a graduate of the prestigious University of Oklahoma. His work can be found at the sports industry's premier forecasting company, AccuScore, where he is an analyst. He focuses on the NFL, NCAA basketball, and football, and Major League Baseball. His Blue Horseshoe blog is one of AccuScore.com's biggest attractions. His opinions have been published in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and the Los Angeles Times. He has appeared on more than 40 radio stations, including being a regular on ESPN Radio, Sporting News Radio, and numerous shows on Sirius XM. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Zachy Score. How are you doing, Zach? Hey, man. I like it uh, the way you intro me. It's like my phone is ringing. That's my ringtone. That's your ringtone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like to, uh, we like to highlight, the, uh, highlight the, um, the greater aspects of our guests. You know, really pump them up, make them sound like the heroes that they are. Yeah, exactly. I'm because a homer. We have nothing but heroes on our show. You know what I mean, Zach? I do. I do know that. So now, last time you were on the show, um, I think yes. it was Donnie. Yeah. Laid out a challenge. <laughs> oh, yeah. <it> was, <laughs> sounds like something I would do. <laughs> and uh, the challenge was is that Donnie and I could take on your evil computer's head on in a bracket challenge and uh, okay. make you uh, bag like children. <laughs> so last that wouldn't be the first time. It'd be like high school all over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so last night we sat down together for you know a good good half hour and we poured out all of our basketball uh, knowledge and we actually had a fist fight over a couple of the games. But uh, you know, withstanding with <laughs> withstanding his black eye, everything is good and we are we are ready to uh, to defeat the computer. So I think this is how we should do it. For the first round, we'll go. We'll go from east, and then we'll go to west, and then we'll go to the right, and go from southwest to the, the southeast. But w for the first uh, round, we'll, we'll only say if we have an upset. All right. That's oh. going to be riveting. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. So for, for our eastern bracket, for the first round, we have exactly zero upsets. <laughs> We have chalk all the way down <laughs> in that column. We have Ohio <laughs> State, George, George Mason, West Virginia, Kentucky, Xavier, Syracuse, Washington, UNC. I, that's a solid approach because the tournament is built on uh, the favorites always winning out, right? Absolutely. <laughs> what, was it last year all four number ones were in the uh, Final Four or was that the year before? A couple years ago, I believe. Yeah, yeah. All right, Hot Shot. What kind of upsets <laughs> you got in that bracket? 
All right, so what we did is we we took a little bit of a different approach because with what we did, it would be too. It, we would have no chance if we just picked the game, the team that simulates higher per round. So what we did is we put it like an expected win value on what a seed should be, and if the, if that seed was lower than what it should be, or pardon me, the the win per probability was lower than what it should be, what we did is we reserved the right to. Uh, uh, take the upset, and in most cases, we did that. Gotcha. So, looking at the East, let me go here. We took Ohio State. Uh, yep. We took George Mason. Yep. Uh, we'll we'll take uh, we'll take Clemson in the play-in game. Even though, even if UAB wins the play play-in game, we will take them to beat West Virginia. We just don't have West Virginia advancing past the first round. Okay. Uh, we'll take Kentucky. We'll yep. take Marquette. We'll take Syracuse. We'll take Washington, and we'll take North Carolina. Okay, in the second round in the East, uh, Donnie and I took Ohio State to beat George Mason. We took Kentucky to beat West Virginia. We took Xavier to beat Syracuse and Washington to beat UNC. Great. We did the exact same thing, only that we advanced Syracuse uh, out of the upper pod. So uh, we took Washington to beat North Carolina the same way that North Carolina was only winning 54% of the simulations in that game. So based on them being a 2 seed playing a 7, we thought that it should be better suited to at least a 2-1 to one advantage, 66% of the simulation. So what we did is we advanced Washington. So we're Ohio State, Kentucky, Syracuse, and Washington. And then our final two in that bracket is Ohio State versus Washington, and we have Ohio State in the final four. Okay, we'll take Ohio State uh, over Syracuse. So we took Syracuse over Washington, uh, Ohio State over Kentucky, and we'll take Ohio State to uh, represent the East. Very good. So we're going to move on to the South, or the West, I'm sorry, out in Anaheim. Well, Duke is the okay. one seed. Finally, finally, uh, finally, Duke got a little bit of uh, a challenge from the committee. And they sent them out west in a pretty pretty good bracket. Uh, in the first round, we have picked Duke, Michigan, Texas, Memphis, Missouri, Connecticut, San Diego State, and Temple. What do you got? All right, we'll take Duke. We'll take Tennessee. Uh, they're winning about 56% of the simulations over Michigan. Uh, we'll advance Arizona, and that, that was a tough game. Memphis definitely makes a case. Uh, but the problem is the only way that Memphis would have to outdo their uh, simulations from the free-throw line, and that's just a big if. They always so we'll have take problems Arizona. with that, huh? We'll take Texas. We'll take Missouri over Cincinnati, Connecticut, uh, even though we like Bucknell plus the points. We'll take Temple, and we'll take San Diego State. All right, in the second round, we have Duke and Texas winning, and then we have Connecticut and San Diego State winning. All right, so we're just about the same, but, you know, one of the big things that's been asked on me on you know, all the radio this week is, you know, can a team go five out of five from the Big East tournament and then turn around and the big dance? Syracuse wasn't able to do it a few years ago. Tough. Uh, it, it, it's a tall order, and the committee really hamstrung Connecticut if Missouri gets to the second round. Having to play 40 minutes of hell against Missouri, you know, the Nolan Richardson style yep. of basketball guard and defend all 94 feet. That's the sort of thing that uh, can really wear on a team. We don't think it will affect Kemba Walker, but he's not the only guy on that team, and fatigue could definitely set in in that game. So kind of in a sleeper upset, being that it wasn't, uh, the simulations weren't as, uh, you know, let me just take a look. They were just weren't as far, you know, crazy as they should have been. UConn was only winning 60% of their games against Missouri, which is Three far less 11, than they should yep. be winning against uh you know, an 11 seed. We'll advance Missouri to play San Diego State. 
Okay, we have Duke and Connecticut playing each other, and we have Duke making it back to the Final Four. Okay, so we'll advance San Diego State to represent the lower half to play Duke, and we have Duke winning that game. All right, so we'll go back to the top, to the southwest, and we have picked Kansas, UNLV, Richmond, Louisville, Georgetown, Purdue, Texas A&M, and Notre Dame. All right, so we're, we're on Kansas. We're on Illinois. We're going to take Richmond. They're a 58% favorite straight up uh, as a 12 seed over Vanderbilt. So we'll take Richmond 13-3 and in their conference, uh, won their conference championship. Kind of like the Butler syndrome, they know how to win. So we'll advance Richmond in the first round. Uh, they'll play Louisville, in our opinion. Uh, we'll take Georgetown over U- USC or VCU. Uh, we do like USC in that game, so I put them in my bracket, but neither of them are going uh, past Georgetown. Uh, Purdue, Florida State is a 7-10 game. That's a uh, coin flip. So that's pretty much what the simulation should be on an 8-9 game. So being that it's 50%, we'll take the 10 seed at 50%, uh, being that they have a higher expected uh, win value as a 10 seed. They have an expected win value of an 8 seed. And then we'll take Notre Dame uh, to play Florida State. Okay, in the next round, we have Kansas over UNLV, Louisville over Richmond, Purdue over Georgetown, and Notre Dame over Texas A&M. Yeah, we're identical on that. Okay, and then we have Louisville upsetting Kansas, Notre Dame beating Purdue, and we have Notre Dame in our Final Four. All right, we'll take Kansas in that same situation over Notre Dame. Gotcha. Last bracket, the Southeast, the New Orleans bracket. I have Pittsburgh, Butler, Kansas State, Belmont, Gonzaga, BYU, Michigan State, and Florida. Okie dokie. So we'll take Pitt. We'll take Old Dominion. Uh, they're, they're about a 59% win percentage. So, again, that's, uh, that's closer to what a 7 seed should be. Um, so, you know, Old Dominion's a 9, playing uh, with a win probability as if they were a 7. Utah State is uh, 58% to, uh, to, to win that game. They're getting a point and a half, 61% in our simulations with a point and a half. So we'll advance Utah State over Kansas State, especially Kansas State has fought the basket all year, never really had one team on the court, never be able to get an identity. Belmont, believe it or not, will advance Belmont over Wisconsin uh, based on that expected win value that we talked about. Um, and if I can just take a look at what my readings were for the Southeast. Uh, was that the Southwest or the Southeast? This is southeast. the Southeast in New Orleans. Well, okay. ending in New Orleans. All right, so um, Belmont. Um, I don't have it in front of me why we chose Belmont, but we do like Belmont. Belmont actually um, is, is our big sleeper team, I guess, this year. Uh, we'll in. We'll advance Gonzaga over St. John's. Uh, yep. Big coaching uh, uh, in balance. Mark Few versus Steve Lavin taking Mark Few every day and Sunday. BYU. Uh, we like Michigan State. UCLA has never shown that they can play against a physical team on a, as a front line. Just ask anybody who watched that Villanova games. And uh, we like Florida, even though we think Florida's on a upset alert because they're only winning uh, 75% of the simulations. The two seed, their expected win value is supposed to be 88% in the opening round. They're only at 75%. So we think if you're trying to take a flyer, just betting straight up, take UCSB. I mean, you're still a one to three underdog, but still you're going to, you're going to get great value. Florida is very overrated. Yeah. This bracket is kind of crazy. We both got some, some upsets in this one. Uh, I have Pittsburgh uh, beating Butler. We have Belmont into the Sweet 16 over Kansas State. We have uh, Jimmer and BYU to play Michigan State. It just seems like Tom Izzo always gets his team to the Sweet 16. 
Mm-hmm. Well, if Florida gets if Florida gets past uh, UCSB, which I think they do, they're going to have a great home field advantage playing in Tampa. So, uh, mm-hmm. based on the home field court advantage and a little bit better uh, numbers, uh, kind of evening out there, we'll take Florida over Michigan State. We do like BYU again. This is a team with Jimmer Forget that two years ago and three years ago went out in the first round, so they know what it's like to go out early. They didn't last year. We think they'll be able to uh, continue their hot streak. Um, no real matchup problems throughout the first two rounds with the loss of the player who likes sex. Uh, <laughs> Belmont will advance, will advance them to the Sweet 16 as well. And uh, Pittsburgh Panther, Panthers without Levance Fields or Ronald Ramon uh, will get, uh, we'll, we'll get past Old Dominion. All right, well, we finished this bracket out in honor of our uh, mutual pal, Dave Damashek, and we have Pittsburgh over Belmont, Jimmer over Michigan State, and then we have Pittsburgh over BYU headed to the, the Final Four. Well, with no disrespect to my old pal Dave, but I advanced Pittsburgh uh, because they have a really good basketball team and not because <laughs> they love them. <laughs> so I'll take Pittsburgh over BYU as well. I think that BYU is going to get past Florida. Um, Less of a home court advantage uh, in New Orleans. We think BYU is a quality team, and Florida, you know, they're on borrowed time. Uh, you know, I think they're on borrowed time early on in the tournament. So BYU advances over Florida. Pittsburgh will represent uh, the Southeast in the uh, in the Final Four. Okay, so our Final Four is Ohio State, Duke, Notre Dame, and Pitt. What is your Final Four? We really went out on a limb here and picked all the four number one teams. All the four number ones. Very good. We have three. Three ones and a two, and then we are going to take Ohio State versus Pitt in the championship game, and we are going to take Ohio State to tear down the Nets in Houston. Yeah, I hope these guys, uh, Selinger and uh, Diebler, didn't sell any of their memorabilia or have any uh, free tattoos because I'd hate to see them <laughs> have to give back their national championships. We think they'll that they'll beat uh, Kansas to win it. All right, so you have uh, you have Ohio State over Kansas to win it. Very good. So now I don't know. Have we settled on a a wager for this? Well, it's your show, so tell me what you guys want to do. Well, you kind of made fun of me for uh, my uh, my love of the million dollar matchmaker last last time you were on. So I think if we win, uh, we want you to watch. I will say five episodes, the first five episodes of the latest season of Million Dollar Matchmaker, and write a blog about it. <laughs> All right, but I, I will do that. But let's just just so you you know, that's not losing a bet. That's called married life. <laughs> I'd probably do that anyways, except for the fact that I have to, uh, you know, no writing a blog. And by the way, I watched the season opener last night of uh, the Real Housewives of Orange County. Oh, how's that? Camera. I'd like to see her naked. Really? I like camera. <laughs> but the rest of those women, they should be drowned in a shallow puddle. Really. I have and, not and seen not the housewives. Women. It's just because they're horrible people. They're horrible. Yeah, I, they tend to be on those housewife shows. You know, you got me roped in, and I've been watching the uh, the, the the show about the mansions, the uh, yeah, million, million dollar, dollar listing. listing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a new you one. Think Greg tonight. Flag is gay, or Josh Flag is gay. I think he's gay. I think not that, that there's anything wrong with it. I think <laughs> that he's very very gay, and obviously the other one is out gay. The other. Uh, not the other Josh, but the other guy. What's his name? Madison. Madison, Madison. yeah. And then the other Josh is, uh, what a douche that dude is. Not gay, that but brutal. That guy has brutal. no game. It's incredible. 
I mean, it's incredible how little game he has. You know, just smile big and make stupid comments. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, that guy might get girls now that he's on television because, you know, like I know, the biggest aphrodisiac is fame. I mean, mm-hmm. you should see all that stuff that got thrown at me after the multiple appearances with Damashek. <laughs> so, but this guy, Josh Altman, he's terrible. And you know, he's got like a twin brother. Really? That they're like partners. I went to his website. So, I don't know. We made an internal decision. If and when we ever get a million-dollar listing, we would like Madison to represent us or our interests. Yeah. Now, one thing that they've been begging us to ask you for is on the internet is your father was actually is the guy who made news for ditching Charlie Sheen earlier this month and actually spent a long time representing him. Is that correct? That's that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. He. Uh, my dad is a. Uh, He's an old-time publicist uh, who represents actors and actresses, and he was handling Charlie for the last, I think, five or six years. And he he, he booted him to the curb, huh? Had enough? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I think it was just, I think, uh, you know, it was just, you know, Charlie was doing his own thing, and, you know, I think what he said is it was time for, uh, you know, he wasn't in a position to help him right now. Oh, I see. Do you have any good, you know, old-time Charlie Sheen stories, <laughs> like you went to your dad's for Christmas and he was all cuddled up with a... I would- bunch of coke would, or something or? <laughs> i would guess that the best charlie sheen stories you can hear are the ones that he's telling on on air every single day yeah he is very open i suppose he he's not not shy to tell a story about hookers or blow or really anything exactly he's so i'm open. going to defer to charlie sheen and uh, <laughs> his his panacea of interviews to be the best source for good charlie sheen stories okay so if we win you're watching millionaire matchmaker and writing a blog about it and yes so what happens if what's hap- what do you want us to do if you win? Um let's see here. I would say since there are two of you, uh-oh. <laughs> what we need is like body paint, right? So right. you'd have to take off your shirt and okay. write AccuScore. One okay. of you guys writes AccuScore and the other one says wins. And you got to got to take a picture holding hands. Oh. <laughs> and then it has to stay on your website for two weeks for on your two new blog. Weeks. Okay. And 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 it must be posted in your uh, thread on the Damashek message boards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then if that's the case, you have to at the end of your blog, you have to link our site then. If you you know, if you lose as mm-hmm. you know, when you write your blog, you ha- you have to put a link to our website on then. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. I'm yet to watch a bet, and uh, I don't suspect that this will be my first time. <laughs> okay, well, we're crossing our fingers now <laughs> that these were good picks. Uh, I'm going to start to win sit-ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to be an ugly the bull, You get the horns. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a question about AccuScore in the NCAA tournament. If, if you wanted to sell some subscriptions here, how can, I'd uh, to sell some subscriptions. How can AccuScore help someone – who wants to fill out a bracket for for their bracket pool? I know you use it to fill out this bracket. Um, do you have any any specials going on for the tournament or anything like that? You know what what how how does AccuScore come up big at this time of the year for its subscribers? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, and there's there's dozens of different ways to get your uh, bracket information. We have something called the Bracket Caster, which simulates the games. It's kind of more of a fun game. The data is usually a little bit preliminary, so you can kind of advance people or advance teams through that, and that's free. If you really want to, you know, you're using this for gambling. Uh, it's it's a great resource because just in the first round, there's 16 different bets 
that really stand out to us that we've rated as uh, four-star picks, meaning that each of the teams uh, playing in a game uh, combine two teams that have profitable records over the season. So um, what we've been able to do is identify those games for our clients, and uh, you know those are really good betting opportunities just in the first round, nine against the spread, seven, uh, seven totals. So we'd really recommend that people uh, get in and get involved in that. Uh, what we can do is if you want to email me at uh, support at AccuScore.com, you can email me that. I'll give you $25 off, or pardon me, a 20 discount against either a monthly product, which is 99 a month, or annual, which is $300 a month. So you get, um, what did I say, uh, 25% off? Yeah, so 75 bucks for the month. Especially on the annual, if you wanted to go annual, because you get all March Madness, the rest of the NBA, the playoffs where we had a 33-3 run last year, all of college football season, all of the NFL, assuming they come back, and the first two-thirds of next year's NBA uh, and NHL, and uh, right up to March Madness for the um, for college basketball. So that's a pretty good deal. Awesome, yeah. At twenty five percent off, I think it's just about two and a quarter when it all flushes out. And uh, you know, if you think about that, as on on a monthly, uh, you know, it's like what sixteen dollars a month on that. So, if your listeners want to get in on that, uh, we'd be more than happy to honor that deal at support at AccuScore.com. Just email me the sportscast, you you know, sportscasters, you know, in, in the message, yep. and then we'll have to correspond to uh, take care of the transaction. Awesome. Hey, what is Oklahoma going to do now that we have shown Jeff Capel the door? Who, who do you want? Uh, hopefully, we can go back to uh, texting illegally uh, players <laughs> and get back to the tournament. Yeah, get uh, get uh, welcome our. Um Wonderful coach who uh, I can't I can't think of his name the guy I went to Indiana after I was cheating help Nolan me out Samson Samson yeah Samson we can get Samson back uh, and do some more cheating yeah, but I no, hated Samson seriously I was not a big Samson guy who do you want is there I any names I'm, out there honest, that I'm more interested in Oklahoma State getting good in basketball things it's, it's things seem upside down and weird when Oklahoma State's not good in basketball uh, you know OU's good but we've never been great we had that run with Blake and then we choked against Indiana in the tournament and the rest of the time is painful frustration well for that, a team that that run score. that run was thanks to House Price not Blake Blake was still a boy I think you yeah, messed up I'm your superstars run, uh, with Blake against North Carolina. Oh right, and, right, and, and everyone then, uh, really choked against North over Carolina. Your own feet against Indiana was pretty no. rough. I was at that game, so I don't know. I just you know we've I never been House really Price. good at basketball. I loved House Price. He's so cool. Yeah, he's, he's, your, he's your guy, right? Oh my god! Even though he could barely fit in his shorts and his his, <laughs> the, we couldn't find a jersey that would fit him. He, he oh, I love House Price. I watch his. Uh, Does his, he still have that tooth lodged in his elbow from that kid from Indiana State? <laughs> yeah, that was not nice. That was in the tournament. His what sophomore year, I think. Yeah, that was not that was nice at great, all. Uh, one shining moment for Kelvin Sampson. That uh, big win against Indiana State. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. That, whoops. Yeah, but you know those those teams. I always said you know would go as far as Cal, um, as uh, as House would take him, and he he wasn't around to finish that game. And uh, let's see, junior year he lo- we lost to Indiana, and then his senior year we couldn't figure out uh, Syracuse, and the whole Big Twelve yeah, lost they, to Syracuse nobody, that year. Nobody figured out Syracuse that year. But, yeah, the whole I mean, Big Twelve look, lost. You know, it, when I was at Oklahoma, we uh, we got beat by Manhattan in the first round. We got beat by Indiana in the first round. We got, uh, well, I was out of college when we lost to Indiana State. Oh, we lost to Temple in the first round. So, I mean, I'm nobody, I'm not crying that who do we lose gone. to the? Who do we lose in the first round to just a couple years ago? Was it, it was either Blake Griffin's freshman year or the year before that? Some mid, no, major team. No, we beat St. Joe's in the first round, which was weird. We weren't supposed to, and then we beat them. Mm. 
Yeah, you're right. It's not a great basketball program, but it'd still be nice to have a little bit, you know, a team that can compete. If Baylor can compete, why can't we compete? (laughs) Well, Baylor cheated. (laughs) Everyone's cheating. (laughs) Well, exactly. I guess they cheated in... uh I guess uh, we cheat and get caught and suck, and Baylor just cheats and gets caught and, I guess, sucks this year. That's all right, my friend. Football season is right around the corner. Spring practice is about to start, and uh, the Not number nauseating. one our number one team will be ready to march out there. No no choking this year. Right, I'm I know sure that's not going to end in heartache. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I know you're super busy today, and we're super busy today, so why don't we just why don't we check up weekly? Just real quick, Excellent. you know, while uh, this is going we'll on, we'll see where yeah, we're at. Just, well, let's rehash next week. Yep. I'm sure all the listeners can't wait to have me back on, and we'll uh, and we'll uh, figure out uh, who has the inside track to uh, embarrassing themselves. Sounds great. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. And you're listening to my boyfriend Steve on the Sportscasters. And, oh yeah, Don's on it too. You know, the funny thing about that making its third appearance on the podcast is that Don has the laptop and could very easily play the non-Tammy version <laughs> of that. But, uh, you know, I just mentioned to him, I said, make sure you get the, the Ryan Jenkins uh, clip up. And he goes, oh, I got the Tammy one. <laughs> so he's, uh, for some reason, very enamored by it. But uh, we are back after three glorious interviews uh, to close out a really good uh, Mega March Madness podcast with uh, Little Pick 4. Pick 4 did not go great last week. Yeah. Uh, I actually won the week with a 2-2 two and two record. Uh, I won on Long Island over Robert Morris, 85-82. to I won on the Red Wings, barely beating the Oilers 2-1. to And then I lost, rooting against, very hard rooting against the Heat. Uh, but I lost <laughs> as the Lakers defeated them, 94-88. And my bold prediction of Kobe Bryant scoring 35 points in that game did not happen. He scored 24. Uh, Don f- fared one game less than me, 1-3. And, and the only reason he got a win is because of his tradition of picking uh, guests' alma maters. Yep. And uh, he went with Maryland over NC State in the first round of the ACC tournament and won that game 75-67. Interestingly enough, Don, Maryland did not make the NCAA tournament, nor did they make the NIT. So <laughs> Maryland, wow. uh, Maryland uh, didn't get far, but they did get past NC State in the first round of the ACC tournament. Otherwise, it's all L's on the Don side. He lost yeah. the Lakers in Heat game. I said that was 94-88. He lost a really exciting uh, Chicago and Washington uh, game on NBC Sunday Hockey. Yeah, I underestimated uh, Washington. I think maybe had three or four wins in a row at that point, but Chicago was going hot, too. Yeah, Chicago won that one 4-3, and he did say there'd be a new... Washington won that 4-3. Ah, correct. Right. Uh, And uh, he did say that there would be a new NFL deal. There is not an NFL deal. All right, so let's get on to pick four for this week, Don. Game of the week is uh, Old Dominion at Butler, a nine versus eight or eight versus nine game. I will go with number nine, Old Dominion. Now, if anyone's raising their eyebrows and wondering why, of all the tournament games, I picked this one to be the game of the week, I want to explain it real quick. First of all, it's the very first game in the NCAA round two. If you take out the uh, Tuesday and Wednesday games, it's the very very first game of the big tournament bracket the ones that, that we matter. all fill out the ones that matter right it's on at 1240 on true tv all by itself you get to start the tournament out butler was in the final last year and they could very easily be out in the first round against a very good old dominion team as don has predicted but i am going to go with butler 
I think uh, a team that went as far as they did last year has too much pride to lose in the first round this year. So I'm going to pick Butler. All right, the host choice. I went with uh, our guest, Neil Best, alma mater, like I like to do, and I'm going to take Cornell over Dartmouth in college hockey because mm. Cornell is not in the tournament. Now, uh, Dartmouth college hockey is, of course, led by Matthew Lindblad, who is the former uh, USHL line mate of my oh, brother. Oh, right, right, yep. Um, so you'll be going against him, and, and that's gonna make, he's going to make you pay. I'm going to actually call Matt up <laughs> and uh, tell him if you didn't Give have enough motivation. A little extra yeah, juice. for this yeah. game. Yeah. All right, uh, my host choice. I went with an NHL game. Uh, I, I didn't want to do anything dirty like pick a one over a 16 seed. Uh, I stayed away from that. But I did pick the Hurricanes at home on Friday at 7 o'clock over the Islanders. Um, we're getting towards the end of the NHL season. The Hurricanes are in eighth place right now, and they're going to really need those points at the end of the week. So they're ninth right now, I think. They're, yeah, they're, oh, they're struggling, to, struggling to stay in the playoff race. So I'm going to pick the Hurricanes, who really need those points to win at home against the Islanders. Uh, since I've embarrassed myself uh, two weeks in a row with my NHL and NBC picks, I'm going to do it again. And Sunday at 12.30, the Rangers play the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Come on, the Rangers and Penguins are on NBC? <laughs> yeah, I know. Shocking. Now, Crosby won't be back, but he is skating now, so that's kind of big news for the Penguins as they make their uh, – not their push for the playoffs. They're pretty safe, but as they – Battle for seeding. Yeah, try to battle for seeding and right the ship on the way to the playoffs. I think Pittsburgh will win over the struggling injured Rangers. My worldwide leader pick, uh, nationally televised on TBS for the first time in the NCAA tournament this year. And Thursday at 9.20 p.m., Michigan State faces UCLA in a basketball game that could very easily be a football game. Uh, it just sounds like two teams <laughs> that play football yeah. a lot, too. Uh, but I am going to select Michigan State to win this one because I think Tom Izzo is a great coach, and he always seems to get his team into the Sweet 16. Uh, and I followed that logic on our bracket against the score, so hopefully it'll pay off. I'm going to pick Michigan State over UCLA, uh, an NCAA round two game Thursday, 9-20 on CBS. Okay, my bold prediction is uh, fairly bold, I've been told. I predict the 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 ranked or seeded teams in the tournament will go 0 and 20. There will be no upsets from the first through fifth seeds. And that is bold. My bold prediction is an upset in the South. East Regional. So if mine is right, yours is wrong. Right. <laughs> it's good that way. So uh, my pick is Belmont, uh, 13th seeded Belmont. Uh, my boy Luke Wynn, who we had on earlier, is a fan of Belmont. So is it AccuScore Zach was a fan? Yep. So I'm going to pick Belmont to beat Wisconsin. It's a 13 over a 4. So I can't, I, that's bold enough, I got to think. Uh, they play Thursday, 727 on True TV. Um, if you haven't found out where True TV is on your cable dial yet, do so because they will be broadcasting many, many uh, of the tournament games the first weekend. So that is pick four. We've had a long podcast today, special for the NCAA tournament. I want to thank our guests. We had Luke Wynn, who I really want to thank for making time uh, in his busy schedule right now with the NCAA tournament. I want to thank Neil Best for joining us uh, from New York Newsday. Got to thank Warren Packard from Dues.com and Zach Rosenfield from AccuScore. Uh, a couple of pieces of business before we sign off. Uh, BuffaloWingsHockey.net. Don't forget about Wings registration. It's starting every Saturday at the Amherst, formerly the Amherst Pepsi Center. Uh, you can register 
uh, to join the Buffalo Wings Summer Hockey. If you are not in the area, do not care to register, please check out their website and uh, you know find out about that game, the record-setting game we mentioned last week, that they played 27 straight hours of hockey. Um, there's plenty of pictures and videos from the event. There is a lot of money for Roswell Cancer. We want to thank them. And the last thing, just to remind you to check out our website, uh, www.sports-casters.com. Uh, our Facebook, facebook.com slash the sportscasters. And give us an email this week. Tell us what you think, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Thank you to hip. We'll see you next week.